This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Do say a prayer for my voice that it'll make it to the end of the sermon. Otherwise, I'll have to do as uh, my mother taught me and start speaking in my Mickey Mouse voice, and we just, we don't want that. <clears throat> Our story comes from Luke chapter 4. It's the temptation of Jesus in the desert, and so many good stories in the Bible, but this has to be one of the most exciting, one of the most amazing stories ever written in the history uh, of, of stories. And by calling it a story, I don't mean to imply that it's fictional. No, these things really happen. But consider how epic this is. We have a lone figure, the last hope of a dying people out in the desert battling the arch enemy. And if our hero makes so much as one misstep, one mistake, it's the disaster and ruin and the unraveling of all things. It's not only the salvation of the human race which hangs in the balance, but all of creation. The entire universe will be destroyed if Jesus fails at the test and sins even once. So if Marvel needed a a new idea for the next movie, not Batman or Superman, but God-man. But this is not fiction. It's not a comic story. This actually happened. And the stakes were really that high. And perhaps you don't know this, But it was possible for Jesus to sin in that he could have, if he decided in his human will to turn that stone into bread or to worship Satan in order to receive the glory and the the authority of the nations, he could have done that. This wasn't just a farce. It wasn't just a play. This wasn't just for show. This was real temptation. When Paul says in Philippians 2 that in the mission of the incarnation, Jesus laid aside the advantages of being divine, it means that he did not give up being God, but he gave up being the advantages. He gave up the advantages of being God. Meaning in the temptation, Jesus had no extra special help just because he was God. Rather, like any of us, he was clothed fully with the limitations of every human being. And with the stakes as high as they were, if he failed, it would be the end of all things. And so not only in this temptation story, but all throughout his life, if Jesus ever said no to God and yes to sin, he would have failed utterly in his mission and we would have no hope of salvation. But thanks be to God, and thank you, Jesus. He was victorious over the devil and every temptation. And so now we, following in his footsteps, in our effort to resist the lies of the devil, we, like Jesus, must empty ourselves as he did. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit as he was, and we must be filled with the knowledge of the truth as he was. So today we're going to talk about how in our effort to resist the lies of the devil, we must empty ourselves and be filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the truth. So first, in order to resist every lie and temptation of the devil, we must empty ourselves. So look at verse 2. Jesus, being led by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was there 40 days being tempted by the devil. 
He ate nothing during those days. Now, that was a choice that Jesus made. By eating nothing, he chose to empty himself and to become empty of food, empty of physical strength. By fasting, he was empty. And again, this was something he had chosen to do. And so too, we, in our 40 days, <clears throat> we do a much smaller version of what Jesus did. We give up certain earthly goods for a time to ensure that earthly goods do not lay ultimate claim on our affections. Our fasting and our disciplines take us to a place of weakness, emptiness, and reduced strength to teach us that the Holy Spirit is our true and only strength. If you're here on Ash Wednesday, uh, Will preached a great sermon, and I loved his opening illustration where he talked about the rock climber going up the mountain. And he said the rock climber had that choice to take more gear with him to summit or, or to not. And in the end, he decided, in order to achieve this height, I actually have to go with less and not with more. I thought that was a great illustration, and I want to build on that. Because so often, in the pursuit of holiness, we have this assumption that it means I have to do more than I'm doing. I have to be more and be better. There must be a more that I'm not doing. There must be a way that I'm falling short, and I have to reach farther. But instead, often is not, the path to holiness is much more about what we are willing to cut out to get rid of and to let go of. Not so much what we're taking on, but what are we letting go of? Asking the question, how do I empty myself? So we're gonna talk about two ways this morning that we empty ourselves. The first one is very much like Jesus. We're gonna talk about fasting. And then second, we're going to talk about something called avoiding the occasion of sin. So first, with fasting. Again, we see that Jesus' 40-day fast was a critical part of his victory over the devil. Somehow he knew that he needed to be empty of bread so that when he faced the temptation to make stones into bread, actually the irony is that by being empty of all bread he would have the spiritual strength to say no to the devil he knew he had to be empty of bread and all physical comfort now for us in the cases of habitual sin which are those sins that we keep falling into time and time again those particular sins that seem to have a hold on us and no matter how hard we try they seem to dominate us and be in control of us rather than we are in control of them. Habitual sin. There are few remedies and weapons more powerful than fasting in the fight against habitual sin. Whether these are sins of the body, sins like sexual sin, gluttony, drinking to excess, or a consumerism that buys and buys and buys in order to make oneself feel full. These are sins of the body. But also, too, the sins of the soul, those things that can be habitual. Have you ever had the experience of just being overrun by your pride, your conceit, your narcissism, or envy and jealousy? You can't get over the gifts that someone else has or the life that someone else is living. Pride, envy, 
anger, hatred. Have you ever been consumed by anger? You know, it's one thing to have a, a response of anger when something happens. It's another thing for that to boil over, to perseverate on that, and for that to boil over into what's called wrath, the sin of unholy wrath. The sins of the soul, the sins of the body, whatever sins are habitual, those things that just seem to continue to get the better of you. Fasting from food is one of the most powerful remedies. Jesus himself demonstrates this in his 40-day fast in the wilderness. Now, let me say a word here. Fasting must be responsible. When we talk about total fasting, that is, not eating anything for a meal or two or sometimes for longer, with total fasts, we must listen to God, we must be led by Him, and we also must be sensible. There are medical reasons why you should not do a total fast. If you have an eating disorder, you should not do a total fast. If you are pregnant or nursing, or if you have an illness, you should not do a total fast. Other factors to take into consideration, if you have a rigorous, physically demanding job, you might not be able to fast or you might not be able to fast as much, or you might need to think more about which days do I fast. Also to raising small children. Some of you know you were able to fast maybe for a whole day once upon a time, but especially when the night was not a good night and you wake up and you realize, I, I need breakfast to be able to make it through, that's okay. Raising small children changes your ability to fast. Also, too, if you're, you're able to uh, drink juice or sometimes um, if you're in the middle of a fast and you're getting a headache and it's just pounding, it's okay to break your fast, eat some food, take an ibuprofen. We need to be sensible here. But the principle with those other mitigating factors, whether it's medical reasons or a physically demanding job or uh, nursing and raising small children, the principle is this. Whatever factors keep you from fasting or being able to fast more than, than you would otherwise, those very same factors operate in the same way as the fast. They are sanctifying you. So take example, a nursing mother. She's already spending her energy so much of her life and her time, she's tired out of her mind taking care of this little baby. And so she can't fast from food, but the same effect that happens when you fast from food is happening to her all the time. So those same factors that might keep you from a total fast, they also are the very things by which God is sanctifying you. So that's very inclusive, isn't it? There's another type of fast, not a total fast, but called ascetical fast. This is different, and it is almost always um, approachable and, and able to be done by anybody in any circumstance. Because ascetical fasts are when we choose for a season to give up those certain foods, whether it's you know, sugar or alcohol or, or uh, dairy or meat or things like that. One example of an ascetical fast is something called a Daniel fast. We read in the book of Daniel in chapter, I believe it's 9 or 10, He's overcome by the power of the Lord, and for 21 days, he does not eat meat, doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't eat sweets. He gives up luxury items. And so if you want to do a Daniel fast, you, you give up meat, alcohol, sweets, caffeine even, those things that are not necessary for your uh, sustenance, but which are luxury items. You give them up for a period of 21 days, as Daniel did. So these ascetical fasts 
are especially common during Lent, the season that we're in now. Again, whether it's sweets or alcohol, reducing caffeine, or should you be so bold, cutting out caffeine altogether, just warn family and friends ahead of time. Okay? But in all these different types and ways of fasting, whatever you do, keep in mind it is unto the Lord. We fast in order to fasten to Him. And if ever this becomes a habit or a discipline and we're not uh, seeking the Lord in it, He's been removed from the center and the focus, we're not doing this to draw near to Jesus, then we lose the purpose. And it becomes actually... Uh, antithetical to our purposes because we grow in pride or Phariseeism or legalism or all kinds of awful, horrible things happen. So when we fast, remember why we're doing this. It's to draw near to the Lord. Like Jesus, who emptied himself of food so that he could feel and know more fully the fullness of the Holy Spirit, so too, when we fast from food, it's so that we're more filled with the Holy Spirit and more aware more aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives, because that's what fasting does. It doesn't necessarily make more of the Spirit, but it makes you more aware of the Spirit. Also, it must be said, and it has been said throughout the history of the church, there is a strong connection between fasting from food and sexual purity. If you can't say no to a chocolate chip cookie or a potato chip when you're hungry and grumpy and have had a bad day at the office, and that's your usual practice, after lunch, go to the snack cupboard and grab a cookie. If you can't say no to a cookie, how will you say no to a sexually explicit image when it pops up on your screen? Or to flip this around the other way, it's easier to say no to a cookie than to a sexually explicit image. So let's start there. Let's in Lent do those ascetical fasts, give up certain foods, do this work of fasting so that we gain strength in that muscle of self-control. Because when you're saying no to that cookie in a time that you otherwise would be enjoying that cookie, you're saying no to a good thing for a better thing. You're saying no to the desires of your body, no to those appetites. You're keeping them in check. You're putting them in place. Again, the church historically has said there is a connection between fasting from food and sexual purity. And more broadly, in our fight against habitual sin, there is no remedy like fasting and a regular life of fasting. And it is true that over a lifetime, not all at once, but over a lifetime of regular disciplines of fasting, even sexual desire, which can feel at sometimes like a fire burning way out of control, can come into a place of holy moderation. So fasting is a crucial way that we empty ourselves. Of course, would encourage you at the beginning of Lent to ask the Lord, what is the fasting that you're asking me to do? I would encourage every one of you to have some kind of food fast that you're engaging in, whether it's total fasts or ascetical or a combination of both. Along with fasting, the other thing we're going to talk about this morning as a way to empty ourselves is something called avoiding the occasion of sin. This is another way of letting go, of cutting out, of giving up, of emptying ourselves. So Jesus, when he gave us the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, he said to pray, lead us not into temptation. Well, what did he mean by that? He meant two things. 
The first thing he meant is when we find ourselves being tempted and desiring to do what God does not want us to do or desiring not to do what God does want us to do, in that place of temptation, we pray, lead us not into temptation. In other words, get me out of here. Show me the path of faithfulness out of temptation because in every temptation there is a path of faithfulness. There is a way out. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. That's the first thing we mean when we pray that. But there's a second meaning. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're also saying, and Lord, help me to know which temptations can be avoided altogether. Because here's the truth. Temptation as a fact of life cannot be altogether avoided. As long as we are in this body, there will be temptations. However, many temptations can be avoided. Many temptations are temptations that we put ourselves in and we think, oh, I can handle it, or I'll be fine, or we just don't even realize this is the occasion of sin. Every time I'm in this place doing this thing, it leads to sin. And so identifying and understanding the occasion of sin, those temptations that can be avoided, and then changing our lives to not go there. It's a very important part of fighting against the temptation of the devil. And it does involve a letting go, a giving up, a cutting out, a change in our lives. So here's an example. Someone who is trying to recover from an addiction to alcohol. The urge to have a drink may never totally go away. That is a temptation that will likely remain with them the rest of their life. As the years of sobriety continue, that temptation and that urge will diminish, but it may never totally go away. That's a temptation that cannot be altogether avoided. However, for someone who's trying to overcome an addiction to alcohol, the specific temptation of having a six-pack in the fridge can be avoided. Or the specific temptation of being in the bar with friends. I'm just here for the peanuts, you might say. But as anybody who has overcome an addiction to alcohol or any kind of addiction will tell you, it may not be a sin to go to the bar and eat peanuts. That in itself is not a sin. But if you're in that place, of seeking to come out of addiction, you know that for you, that is the occasion of sin and you can't go there. That's something you have to give up, lay down, let go of. It's a change you have to make in your life. Because the reality is, that temptation is too strong for you when you're there. But if you're not there, the good news is, you can actually avoid falling into the sin of drunkenness. So those scenarios are called occasions of sin are the ones that we put ourselves in or find ourselves in that can be avoided. They're not necessary. So in your effort to resist temptation and the lies of the devil, to resist sin, so much of it is finding out where are those places where I am tempted to sin and I fall regularly? And what can I do to avoid finding myself in that place? Whether it's a literal place or whether it's a certain activity or kind of activity online in which you realize, wow, every time I engage with this, I end up spewing hateful, angry words. Okay, well, the answer is don't engage with that particular 
social media outlet. So I want to ask yourselves this morning and take time to dig into this this week. What is the sin that seems to have a greatest hold on you in your life right now? And also this week, take some time before the Lord to sit down and identify where and how am I falling into this sin? Where and how am I giving into this temptation? And is there anything, what can I do to keep from being in the place of temptation? What can I do to stay out of the occasion of sin? What changes can I make in my life so that I'm not being tempted? So I'm, I'm old enough that it's true that when I, I was in high school, not every family had the internet in their home. And it may not surprise you to know that my family was one such of these. So I never struggled in high school with looking at inappropriate content on the internet. I go to college, and now all of a sudden I have access to the internet in my dorm room, in the privacy of my room, and lo and behold, I start looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. Now thankfully, I was not technologically savvy enough, and that also should not surprise you, to know that there were ways you could cover your tracks or whatever the case may be. And so I got a letter from the dean of students saying, we need to talk. You remember that, Paul? That was you, <laughs> Paul Chelson. That was humiliating. I never, I never would have thought I'd be preaching to you someday, man. <laughs> But there I was in that chair, seeing my sin, and Paul, a godly man, I'm so thankful for that conversation. It changed my life. He said to me, we're gonna pull the internet out of your room. I said, okay. We did that, lo and behold, I'm not sinning anymore. And it wasn't because I suddenly became superhuman and holy. It's just the occasion for sin was removed. I go back home during the summer, and by this time, my parents had got the internet. And over the summer, a couple times, I had engaged in that sin again. So when I came back to school in my sophomore year, I realized, okay, there's an equation. Brett plus access equals sin. Well, we can't get rid of Brett. We don't want to do that. <laughs> How can we get rid of the access? And so I made a choice in the beginning of my sophomore year to say, I'll do all my internet work in the library and the computer lab until I'm in a place where I can actually handle having the internet in my private space. And for many years, that was my practice, even into the years of marriage, until Julie and I said, okay, I think, I think we're ready, I think it's time. But even there, of course, continuing to monitor. If anything happens, restrictions come back, things change. So again, this is about emptying, letting go, cutting out, giving up, and it mostly has to do with our willingness. Are we willing to do it? Do we see the greater prize on the other side that would motivate us to say, I'll go without this for a time because I want that over there. Holiness is not always about the more we take on. It's very often, and especially at the beginning of our journey of sanctification, about what we're willing to give up and let go. Now, Jesus said in some very hard words to hear, but he said these words, so we've got to hear them. He said, cut off the hand and gouge out the eye if it's leading you to sin. He said, it's better to go into life maimed without a hand or an eye 
than to remain whole but be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, Jesus didn't mean literally to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye, but he did mean something. What did he mean? He meant take extreme measures. So when we ask ourselves the question, what's the occasion of sin? What can I do to avoid the occasion of sin? We're saying, what in my life is a change that I can make but I have not yet been willing to make that will keep me from those temptations? And yes, of course, that's not going to solve everything on its own. In a minute, we're going to talk about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it also cannot be done apart from doing the hard work, asking the hard questions, and making the changes. And another word here, a a word of grace is needed at this moment. We will never be perfect. Perfection's not the goal, at least in this life. But thanks be to God for grace. The Bible says the Lord gives grace to who? The humble. Who are the humble? Those who try and fail, but when they fail, they repent, they confess, they ask forgiveness, and they get up and they do it again. Keep going, that is, not the sin. They keep going. And if they do fall again, they repent and confess and actually don't spend too much time beating themselves up about it because they say, well, of course, I'm weak, I'm a sinner, but God is making me holy, and I'm going to keep going. The Bible says the Lord marks the blameless. He regards the blameless, not the perfect. That is, those who want to do what's right, even if we don't always. The real danger is when we give up, we don't care, we harden our hearts. That's when our soul is in peril. So whenever we're praying, lead us not into temptation, we're asking for the Lord's help in this very thing. When I'm in temptation, get me out. Show me the way out. And also, show me how to avoid the place of temptation where I can. So like Jesus, in our effort to resist the evil one and every temptation and sin, we must empty ourselves through fasting, through avoiding the occasion of sin, but we also must be filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge of the truth. So you look at verse 1. All the Gospels tell us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But Luke specially emphasizes that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, coming back from the Jordan and his baptism, and then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was also full of the truth. You notice in every temptation... He responds with the truth of the Scriptures, all from Deuteronomy, in fact. So Jesus is knowledgeable of the truth of the Scriptures. He's knowledgeable of what's true about God, about his situation, and because of that, he's able to see through the lies of the temptations of the devil. We must be filled with the knowledge of the truth because, mark this, every temptation is a lie in some form, shape, or another. Every time the devil's trying to get you to sin, there's a lie that he's trying to get you to believe first. And if he can get you to believe the lie, then he'll get you to sin. So understanding that every temptation is a lie, we must be filled with the truth. The devil lies 
every time he speaks. Jesus says it's the native language of the devil to lie. Though it's also true, isn't it, that he often mixes truth with his lies. Didn't he do that in the garden? What was the last thing he told Eve? You shall not die. You will surely not die. But God knows that if you eat this, you'll become wise like him, knowing good and evil. Well, there's some truth in that. Once they ate the fruit, they became wise in a measure like God, knowing good and evil. That was true. What was the lie? You will not die. They most certainly did. And death came into the whole world. In the temptations here, the first temptation, the devil says, Jesus, you're hungry. You're really hungry. You're empty. Well, that was true. But what was the lie behind those words? You will die in this emptiness. And God is not going to take care of you. He has abandoned you, and you need to use your own power to take care of yourself. That was the lie. But Jesus, being filled with the truth, understood the deeper truth. He said, no, I am empty of bread, but I am filled with life. I will not die. God is with me. I may not have bread, but I have the Holy Spirit, and God will take care of me. He's not abandoned me. Second temptation, the devil says something true. All the nations of the earth and their glory have been given to me. Well, that was true. In our sin, Adam and Eve, who had been given dominion over the earth, gave that dominion to the devil, and it's his for a time. But there was a lie behind these words. The devil said, I will give them to you if you worship me. Oh, he was never going to do that. That was a lie. Also, the lie, there's a shortcut, Jesus. There's a way to glory of the nations and authority and power without having to go through the cross and suffering. Take my shortcut. It's the better way. That was the other lie. Jesus saw right through it. And because he was filled with truth, he knew, no, you know what, devil? I am actually the king. You have power and dominion for a time, but you do not have authority over me, and there is no shortcut. Jesus knew that his mission was to be the suffering servant king, that the path led through the cross before it led to the glory of the nations. In the third temptation, the devil says, if God really loves you, the angels will guard you and protect you. Well, that's true. If God loves us, his angels will protect us and give us strength. But the lie behind these words, the devil was saying, and the only way that you can know for sure that God loves you and that he's protecting you is to do something spectacular to make him prove it. Test him. Make him show you that he truly is guarding you. But Jesus knew the deeper truth. Jesus knew, I, I don't need some spectacular demonstration or show to prove that God is guarding me. In fact, Mark tells us that throughout all 40 days in the wilderness, wild animals were with Jesus and angels were with him as well. Wild animals represent danger. All through those 40 days, Jesus was in danger. All through that time, the angels were guarding him. So Jesus knew, I already have what you are offering, devil. Don't try to make me forget that God is already guarding me. And so often when we fall into temptation, that's exactly what is happening. We're forgetting something that is true. We're forgetting what we already have in Jesus. So when you're facing temptation, stop and ask yourself, and maybe again with those habitual sins, those things that seem to have a particular hold on you, stop and discern before the Lord, what's the lie that I am believing that leads me into this sin? And then in that place, in the scriptures, 
meditating on the scriptures, the Lord will show you, he will speak with his voice, and he will say, here's the truth, separate out from the lies. So it's a knowledge of the truth, a knowledge of the scriptures such as Jesus had, such as Deacon Val is gonna teach you about this afternoon, and, and she does so well in all of her teachings on praying with scripture. It's a deeper reading of scripture where we're hearing the voice of God. We're not just reading the Bible, we're listening for God's voice. Because when we hear God's voice, he begins to separate out the lies we're believing from the truth that will hold us fast. So what are the lies that you're believing? Maybe they're the same ones the devil was trying to use on Jesus. God's abandoned you. He's not going to take care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. Or the shortcut is the better way. Or you need to do something spectacular to prove your value in God's eyes or others. Or maybe other sin, other lies you are believing. But take time this week, not only to dialogue with the Lord, okay, talk to me about fasting. Is there something you're calling me to let go? Okay, talk to me, Lord, about the occasions of sin. Are there changes you're asking me to make in my life? Okay, Lord, also talk to me about what are the lies that I am believing. And as we empty ourselves and are filled with the knowledge of the truth, we'll end with this, and most important of all, we must ask, we must seek, we must hunger after and thirst for the most important thing of all, to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled with the strength of God, to be filled with the grace of forgiveness when we fall, to be filled with hope that we will succeed if we do not give up, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to grow every day more and more in holiness, every day more and more like Jesus, till at last this life is over and we will go to receive our reward. And on that day, we will be like Jesus fully and finally, not because of the shortcut of the devil like God, but because of the long road of redemption, we will be like God. And we will be fully free of sin and temptation. We will, like Jesus, have defeated every lie and trick of the devil. We shall be holy as he is holy. We shall be like God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.